Chase Tremaine has connected with The Antidote. Man, it's great to have you here on the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Dave. When I was asked about maybe having you on The Antidote for a talk, I recognized your name, but I really couldn't place where from. And then I realized you've done a lot of stuff for Jesus Freak Hideout. That's right. Uh, I've been with uh, JesusFreakOut.com for five years, originally as a just a staff writer. And then they tapped me uh, to start a podcast for them. We're uh, approaching episode 200 later this year. So we can both empathize with each other. <laughs> yeah. Lot, lots of uh, interviews and long nights of editing audio <laughs> files in the history books for us. Oh, yeah. That's how we work. Yeah. I'd like to hear about the background of Chase Tremaine. You've been in the music scene quite a while. Yes. Uh, songwriting is one of those things that I'll be doing till the day I die. Whether or not I paid to get it produced or recorded or not. You know, I've been writing songs since elementary school and even had the audacity as like an elementary school kid to try to rewrite other songs. <laughs> like right. as, a, as an eight-year-old, I thought I was in a position to improve upon isn't she lovely by stevie wonder uh <laughs> you know, the beautiful naivety of a, of a child right um and so as time went on you know like i was coming up with lyrics and melodies and started toying around with different instruments to try to really buff up the musical side of of songwriting and so i tried piano and that didn't stick i tried drums and that didn't stick yet eventually came back around to drums um, but when i finally uh tried out the guitar that just clicked and, and it made sense to my brain and uh, was definitely like the instrument for me. But I had avoided the guitar for a long time because my older brother played guitar and I didn't want to be like him. I didn't want to follow his footsteps. He was also super into music and he had a really cool start to his uh, musical journey because he got to be a touring musician for the Tooth and Nail Band Terminal. Oh, yeah. I know. Before they broke up. So my brother was in Terminal for a little bit, and then when they finally called it quit, then my brother um, became a touring member of a band called Loring Drive. Not a Christian band, but they were starting to gain some momentum before they broke up. So that's when my brother came back to Texas to try forming his own band. Uh, but he kind of saw how I was progressing as a musician and roped me into that. So I was his guitarist for a little bit, and then like bassist, baritone guitarist, eventually his drummer. So that's like a solid almost decade of my life. A long time where me writing was not a very big focus. And I was more about kind of helping other you know, artists see their vision and playing for other bands. And then my brother and I both moved to the Nashville area where we've been for seven years now with intentions of getting into the songwriting game. And that has had different ups and downs. I got more invested in my church here and ministry here. Uh, had a short stint in seminary before realizing that that wasn't for me and that wasn't like a spiritually healthy place for me to be. And so it was when I decided to leave seminary uh, and had, you know, this time and kind of budget that I'd set aside for presumably a few years of seminary courses uh, that I decided to invest that instead toward making an album. Wasn't necessarily supposed to start off a career or anything. I just really wanted to s record an album and to, and to have one, uh, that was me and that I was proud of. And now I'm just still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked about the songwriting. You were probably one of the most prolific artists I've ever come across. I mean, what is it now? You've got six or seven releases since 2020. 
I mean, what do you do? You eat and sleep in the studio? <laughs> uh, I would if I could, honestly. Being in studio and just the experience of songwriting and recording is just the highest high for me. It's really what I love doing, and I've become increasingly efficient at it over the years as well. There's a something I do uh, at least once a year that I call the album in a day project where I kind of hold myself up and will spend up to 24 hours straight if I can maintain energy long enough. It's just writing and recording as much new material as possible. Like I might end the 24 hour marathon with one song or four songs or even 10 or 11 songs, just depending on how the day turns out. And that a lot of that functions as the raw material that will eventually kind of get edited and massaged and built upon and rewritten into the stuff that's made my official full-length albums. You're saying you really do work better under pressure. I love pressure. <laughs> I don't know what I would do without it. Let's talk about the Chase Tremaine debut, Unfall. You need to help me out with that. How did you choose that title? Well, I was I was sitting on a bunch of different ideas for a while. Um, and some of them were just strange. Like, for, for a little bit, I was planning on calling the album uh, Three Divided by Zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the album title was, was one of those question marks for a long bit. Like, I was in the studio recording the album while still trying to write and finish the 10th song. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I knew I was going to make a 10-song album, and just pieces were slowly coming together for the 10th song. And that song uh, became the closing track, and the song is called Unfall in Love with a Bull, which is kind of just a tongue-in-cheek term that a friend and I coined uh, to describe the feeling of just, you are incapable of other people being able to fall in love with you. There's something so wrong with me or, or weird about me or broken in me that it would be impossible for anyone to ever fall in love with this. I, I, I loved the term and the idea of the song, but the title was inevitably a mouthful. Uh, so I, in studio, was often shortening it to just Unfall. Mm-hmm. And what really sealed the deal for that to become the album title was when it occurred to me that Unfall, spelled the same way, is the German word for accident. And I have a long history of being very interested in the concept of accidents as we perceive them in relation to, you know, like God's sovereignty and his plan for all of us versus our personal experience of, of randomness and circumstance and and accidents. And also I have a history with German and, and lived in Germany for a summer. So all of that just like swarmed together into this like clarity of, Oh, that's the album title. Got it. Well, the song actually that I was taken by from Unfall was Search for Myself. It closes with a great line. I'm stuck in feedback loops of growth, death, and drift. Perfect self-knowledge is a burden we were not meant to lift. Yeah. Does that mean you actually tossed out all your self-help books? Well, I mean, I could never toss out a book. <laughs> my my living room is, is swarming with bookshelves. Um, but there there was a period of time in like the months before I wrote that song uh, where I was grappling with these ideas of, of self-help and self-discovery and had a lot of people around me really deeply getting into the Enneagram 
And Mm -hmm. I I think just our culture in general was moving toward the supposed importance of self discovery. Mm -hmm. That that's probably the most autobiographical song on unfall. Like the lyrics are, are, are telling things I really did of like, like looking at old photos, connecting with old friends, reading books I loved from my childhood, like trying to get to know me in the truest sense and just wasn't coming up with anything. I don't think I learned anything or anything helpful. I did eventually get to a point of rejecting the Enneagram and, and a lot of concepts and models of self-help and self-knowledge uh, in favor of like recognizing that we are malleable and fallible and changing and being sanctified, but also backsliding. And like, I think trying to focus so much on self-knowledge can keep us from knowing the Lord and knowing things that really matter. And so I, I just, I was just seeing a lot of death and, and driftness and unhelpfulness in, in, in that self-help phase uh, that I think found a very cathartic end <laughs> when I wrote uh, Search for Myself. Well, I could certainly see all of that in the album. It's like, yeah, you're actually analyzing yourself. Mm-hmm. And of course, that all fits the song Honest Tree. Yeah. What do I need to do to make sure I can stand up in front of you and be welcomed as a son that you knew, not a stranger convinced he could always get himself through? Yeah. I love when albums mirror themselves. And so on most of my albums, there's a very specific trend of like tracks one and 10 being connected tracks two and nine being connected and that going all the way into the middle of like tracks five and six so you just called out the mirroring tracks on that album of search myself and honesty and and that's that's a song that is really kind of just battling self-reliance and trying to you know always pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and and do things by ourselves without the honesty of confession and repentance and admitting that we need help and seeking out that help and yeah, the bridge lyric you know, that you just quoted is me like not wanting to, you know, die and go into heaven. And, you know, the Lord say to me, like, you try to live your life entirely by yourself and by your own strength. Then who does the molding? Is it yourself? Is it God? Or right. is it society? Right. Because it should be God, but it can be <laughs> yourself or society uh, if you're not careful. So Unfall came out in 2020. Yeah. Now here's the crazy thing. Okay, that same year, ended 2021, you brought out a pair of releases, Commitments and Cover Songs, Volume 1 and 2. You covered songs from Stephen Curtis Chapman to Weezer to Wolves at the Gate. And I couldn't believe this. You even covered Barry Manilow. Yeah. What was the attraction? Oh, man. My goal as an artist is to release at least one official album a year mm-hmm. to put out supplementary material as often as I can. And then also to keep these uh, kind of once a year homemade kind of like lo-fi acoustic albums going. Um, so that's the Commitment Cover Song series, which started as a birthday gift to the woman who's now my wife. Um, oh, I met you were her. such a suck up. <laughs> Well, you know, she's she's a huge music fan as well and a songwriter. And we met at a Wolves of the Gate concert. Um, we're both very big fans of that band, which you know is why they're one of the bands uh, covered on volume one. And what's what's funny is that I managed to record volume one in secret from her and make it a complete surprise. And somehow narrowly managed to record volume two 
as a complete surprise to her as well. <laughs> um, the the first volume, you know, the, the focus was cover songs, and it was songs that had you know meant a lot to us uh, during our dating period, or that she introduced to me. Um, so volume one had artists that she liked a lot uh, and got me into, such as Dangerous Summer and Dermot Kennedy, um, along with bands that we just both mutually liked a lot, such as Wolves the Gate, Paramore, Thrice. Um, and then volume two, you know, skip forward a year, brings us from, you know, dating to then being married. For volume two, this, the songs I picked there was almost exclusively songs from our wedding. So the Weezer song was our walk-off song after we, you know, like said the vows and left the ceremony. Um, the Barry Manilow song was for my dance with my mom. The Tom Petty song was her dance with her dad. A lot of good stuff there. Oh, that's great. I love the cover you did of Thrice, that Stay With Me. Yeah. Because really, I guess in some form, you could actually consider it like a, a dark love song. Oh, for sure. It it was oddly fitting for our circumstances. Cause like for those artists, I was I was trying to find, you know, songs that that would be kind of love songs more or less, mm-hmm. which was basically impossible to do for Wolves of the Gate. Uh, and for Thrice, the the options are fairly limited. Cause they have songs like Atlantic and The Whaler, which are are basically dealing with long distance relationships, which is what she mm-hmm. and I were at the time during the pandemic. Stay With Me is almost like a post-apocalyptic romance song of like, you and I were brought together under this perilous situation, but if the world becomes okay again, if we're no longer under this threat, will we still be together? Will our relationship still have meaning? And, and so that just felt wildly pertinent to you know a relationship that you know formed in the context of the pandemic. We got to move on. Development and Compromised, released in 2021. And musically, that album heads all over the place. Yeah. (laughs) But the song where you really changed things around was on Interrogate the Fantasy. Yeah. I had no idea you were a screamer. Well, you know, not a great one. Um, Technique-wise, at least. I will tell you, I can't do it for long. It wears my voice out terribly. But yeah, I mean... Post-hardcore is one of the biggest, uh, like, home-based genres for me. You know, we were just talking about Thrice, and they are my, like, all-time favorite band and probably biggest influence. I, like, I I love screaming. I want to learn better technique (laughs) for doing it. Uh, But it's definitely not, like, a a, something I write very often. Uh, So the Interrogate the Fantasy was one of those songs that uh, was just contextually, when I wrote it, it just made sense. To, to scream in that chorus. And so it was very, very fun to get to record that. And the uh, at the end of the second chorus, there's a medium range scream and a really high pitch scream, mm-hmm. kind of like harmonizing over each other. Right. And that moment, that just harmonic moment might be like my favorite two seconds in my whole discography. <laughs> <laughs> I like how that song asks... Are you indulging my faults or are you fulfilling a need? Am yeah. I enslaving myself? You know, the thing is, do you actually have an answer to that? Because, I mean, being enslaved can mean so many different things. Yeah. The title of the song was a piece of advice I received from a, a biblical counselor saying that, like, when you are 
you know, tempted toward a sin, you should interrogate that temptation until the truth becomes clear. And so my intentions with the verses is to equip the listener with the types of questions they can be asking in those situations, as well as like a you know melodic reminder to myself of questions that I can ask in those situations. And so I do think like if you're looking at something that's trying to to trick you into you know fulfilling a need that doesn't exist or fulfilling a, a real need in a wrong way or treating you as still being enslaved to something that Christ set you free from. You know, it's like if you ask the right questions, that lie can't hold up for long. Yeah, I understand about that. Okay, let's bring this up to date. Sure. The latest from Chase Tremaine is the Accidental Days album, Yep. which releases March 10th. Indeed. Okay, my thought is this is definitely your best. Thank you. You know, I really like the depth of the songs and the consistency. You did most of the instruments on your previous releases. Is that the same with Accidental Days? Maybe to a slightly lesser extent. Um, So across all three albums, I'm doing all of the basic rock instruments, drums, bass, guitar, with some of the keyboards and some of the programming. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on both the second album and Accidental Days, I have some guest keyboardists. uh, And then on all three albums, I have a guest trumpetist, the same guy always doing the, the trumpet. And that's a cool aspect of your songs because it comes as such a surprise and it fits so well. That, that's the goal. You know, it's always like, you know, looking at my songs and being like, what is the perfect place for him? Like literally it's, you know, the, the first album it was on, on the song Programming the Soul. It's like, I just heard the trumpets there and I just had to make it happen. And realizing that so far, like every album has had like figuring out the spot being like, oh, this is where he's needed. And then bringing musicians in and, you know, it's like a mixture of like, okay, here's the thing I've written for you to do, but let's also give you some space to kind of freewheel and like you put your, your thumbprint on it as well. That's, that's kind of like a, a loosening of the grip experience that I've had over the years of just not being so controlling. Like, yes, it's a, it's, it's solo stuff. It's Chase Tremaine. It's me doing almost all of the playing and almost all of the writing across all these songs. Um, but you know, I've really gained increased levels of appreciation for just what my friends and, and you know my brother, and my wife, and my producers can bring to the table. And so when I started making Accidental Days with a producer named Brendan St. Uh, Jolay, I thought he would be a good fit for this set of songs, um, which was ironically before they were supposed to be rock songs. A lot of uh, these songs got transformed into rock songs very late in the process. This album that was kind of supposed to be acoustic pop and just going full like May House of Heroes, you know, Switchfoot Thrice type uh, stylings with uh, turning them into big guitar songs. Um, so all that, to, sorry, to a very long answer <laughs> back to your original question. Um, there is a very solid amount of background production work and synths and keys and extra percussion, as well as on a few songs, some background vocals uh, from the producer. Just a moment ago, you mentioned something I was going to bring up. My question was, has anyone ever told you that you sound like May? 
Oh, definitely. <laughs> I think May and uh, John Foreman are the most common sound-alikes that I've received over the, over the past few years. Even back in like older projects or back when I performed live more frequently in Texas, those were frequent comparison points. And then I've had super random ones all across the spectrum from Mew to As Cities Burn to John Mayer to As Tall as Lions. Um, they're all received as compliments. People hear it and I accept it. Whatever. Just buy the music. <laughs> well, I do hear that May style coming through on the song Distracted. Something else about the song is how it begins as a love song. And then you give the story a twist. Oh, yeah. I know somewhere in my brain is like the perfect way to describe that song. What it's really about is wrestling with the idea that the love of Christ is supposed to be enough. So if the love of Christ is all satisfying, why did I spend my entire life obsessively chasing after romance and putting that in the context of like totally true story, like, you know, a summer where I was a, a summer missionary and like, why can't I just put romance on the side for one summer to be a devoted missionary and to just care about serving this church and spreading the gospel. But no, I have to get distracted by this girl I've got a crush on now. And and so that's really the, the thing I'm wrestling with uh, throughout that song. And, and yeah, basically like it, it kind of like develops more and more as it goes on. It's like, it starts out like super simple, like the most just casual love song, almost like frolicking weightlessly. And then just <laughs> gets more and more like, Oh, that's not what this is about. You're dancing on the clouds. Yeah. Now, I'm a really bad person because I like to stick a label on an artist's style. Now, I'm going to ask you to make that easy for me. How do you view your own music? Ooh, I'm a bit of a genre nerd, but I also know that I get um, subgenres wrong sometimes. Math pop is my favorite designation, and that's one that was actually given to me uh, by a friend. <laughs> You don't hear very much of it on the newest album. Accidental Days doesn't play around with time signature changes and, and key changes as much as my earlier releases do. Mm -hmm. um, emo pop is, I think, one of the most accurate things for me. Um, but there are definitely math influences, especially um, on the first two albums and newer stuff I've been writing. But eventually, I, I took the easier route and just accepted the fact that so many writers and you know, like publicity and whatever were just filing me under alternative. I'm not actively listening to what I would think of as alternative mm -hmm. uh, and never wrote music thinking that it was alternative, but I, I accept that designation at this point. You're going to get it tattooed on your chest. Yeah. Uh, emo, alt, math, whatever. Fusion, fusion. I got to put fusion in there somewhere. Very big jazz fusion fan over here. Earlier, as we were chatting, you'd brought up the point about how you use some of these 24-hour project songs yeah, and can bring them back to life. You did that on this album because in 2016, you actually released the song Gloriously Mundane. Oh, no, you didn't find the original, did you? Oh, I did. Oh, man. But now you've given a different music style to it yeah. and some new lyrics. Yeah. So the song must be special to you. It, it is. It's um, the ongoing joke that I've had over the past year or so is that it's the intentionally worst song on the album. <laughs> and, and you might you might not think so. 
Okay, I would have agreed when I heard the original, <laughs> but not with this. Maybe it's just because it's such a distinct improvement. Well, thank you. So that was the version of the song for a very long time. It was the floor of quality for me for this album. Like thematically and, and lyrically, it was very important to this album. And this set of songs, two or three of them are older than uh, Gloriously Mundane. But in terms of an album kind of coalescing over time, Gloriously Mundane was really like the, the flag Like, this is what the album is about. Like, these intersections of faith and life and work and just bringing daily life into the conversation of these very spiritual Christian things. And so I never wanted Gloriously Mundane to be off the album, even as I recognized more and more over time that it was definitely the worst of the songs that were coming together (laughs) for it. And so in, in my mind, it was like, once I get gloriously mundane to a point where i'm proud of it and ready to record it that's when i know i'm ready to make this album and so i was tossing around my head for honestly like the past few years like would tackle it every now and then just attempting to rewrite the lyrics or to do something different with the the music and figure out like what's working what's not working not highly recommended but if you want to go find the original version up on Bandcamp. It is a pretty decent homemade version of what I would want this album to sound like in its original idea of like an acoustic pop kind of Christian leaning album. I had this idea in my head of like, wait a second, what if I turn these piano lines into guitar riffs? And what if I replace this like laid back beat with like a punk drum beat? And I was starting to hear it in my head. I was like, I think this could work. And when I finally started, just like spent hours demoing out ideas and figuring out like the drum beats and and the speed and getting like my fingers used to playing this fast piano line really fast on guitar. Eventually, I just got to a point where like, oh, I think I cracked it. And it really helped set the foundation for turning this into a rock oriented album and helped me kind of rethink like, okay, what if what if New Creation Grey becomes a rock song? What if the checklist becomes a rock song? And then a bunch of these songs took very extreme rewrites. You know, the One Day is almost a complete musical and lyrical rewrite from its original version. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Checklist is almost a complete lyrical rewrite. Um, as I just turn these into not only a style that's more consistent with like Unfall and, and my releases thus far, uh, but also just brings them into like my favorite genre. Like this is what I love playing. This is what I want my music to sound like. So it was this really cool experience that, again, it's like gloriously mundane while being, like I said, kind of intentionally the worst song on the album also was the impetus not only for the sound to exist, but to make everything else on the album better as well. (laughs) I should get you to do a formal introduction to the song since I'm going to be playing it right now. (laughs) And this is gloriously mundane version 3.0 by Chase Germain. You know, many times during our talk here, you've been talking about your faith and how it plays a role in your music. Yeah. But is it a key to your music? Um, I mean, I go back and forth on that. As albums kind of came together over the past few years, I had very clear delineations in my head. Like once I made Unfall, I was like, okay, I see this other set of songs that falls together and that became DNC. Uh, the second album. And then I had this this other collection that is now accidental days 
this Axel Days collection was always the one where my very overt, explicitly Christian songs were landing. There are four songs on this album in particular that are ten times more overtly Christian and like Jesus name dropping, you know, than oh, anything sure. else on the first two albums. Um, so there's some intentionality to that. Like if someone just completely rejects the Christian faith and doesn't want to hear a thing about it, you know, I think they can still enjoy my first two albums and just not listen to this one. You know, I, I hope that, you know, if I have many non-Christians listening to Accidental Days, which I think my fan base has a decent number of non-believers in it, I hope that this will be received with a level of grit and honesty mm-hmm. that I'm not hearing like preachy worship songs. I'm hearing someone who's dealing with the difficulties of the the practicalities of living out you know Christianity. I, I think the more you know about Christianity, the more all of my music makes sense and the more that you can see the Christian themes that are like very deeply beneath the surface. It's never something that is forced. It's like, if this song needs me to mention Jesus, I'm not going to not mention Jesus. Hopefully, I just follow the Lord as he leads and and write the songs he wants me to write. (laughs) Let's get into a song that is overtly Christian. It's the final song from the release, New Creation Gray. My favorite. I don't think I'll really want my new creation body till I see what it took to get us there. I doubt I'll appreciate what Christ bought for me before I'm wearing like a badge, my gray hair. I'm wearing like a crown, my gray hair. You know what? That's an old person song, man. Yeah. But I do get what you're saying. But what happened to make you want to write that? You know, your previous question was, is Christianity like a key to understanding my music? And that is probably true here. You know, I'm dipping into theological ideas like the the idea that like uh, there will be a, a resurrection and we will have glorified versions of our physical bodies in a completely renewed heaven and earth. The song really came from me grappling and coping with aging. That might seem like a petty thing for you know, a 31 year old to say. Um, but, you know, it's like in my late 20s, you know, like I was starting to see like the ways in which my body was like slowly falling apart. I was developing gray hairs, which was part of, you know, the lyrical inspiration, but that was just the, you know, the part of it. Like I've, I'm literally, I've been walking around on a cane today because I have this bad knee that flares up really badly sometimes and, and makes it near impossible to walk. My back always hurts and I don't sleep well. It's just realizing these things that like, it's so easy to get caught up in the temporary deterioration of our bodies when we as Christians have the promise uh, of a you know future with no toil with no pain it's like do i really believe that do i really like look forward to that or think about that i think there's a there's a good way to live in the present and a unhealthy way to live in the present and that that unhealthy way is is a way without hope uh the unhealthy way of living in the present is to not believe god's promises for the future so it really is it's a multi-layered song that is one part me dealing with my body slowly breaking down. Another part, me kind of learning to have a greater appreciation for those new creation bodies that are you know promised to us as just one element of you know what Christ bought for us in his death on the cross. And then the bridge, which is one of my favorite things I've ever written lyrically or musically, is positing this theory 
Like, what if the greatest dignity of our physical bodies is actually being older? Like, what if we're all resurrected and we're all like 60 year olds? I, I saw that as like really beautiful, really dignifying. We'd be wearing the gray hair with, with dignity and, and pride. Uh, but I was just presenting it as a theory that kind of helps me see old age and my aging with the level of respect that it deserves. Do you want me to come out to your place and you and I will go shopping for a walker <laughs> for you? As long as it comes with tennis balls. <laughs> I guess every artist has expectations with the release. What are yours for accidental days? How do you think it'll be received? Oof, man, that's such a difficult question because I'm always wrestling with overwrought expectations that end up being like crippling disappointments, you know, to end up on album of the year lists and to receive, you know, praise that feeds my ego and to get onto the big Spotify playlists that garner my singles, millions of streams. Like those are the things that I know my flesh wants. And I always try to temper that. This is cheesy probably because I was, you know, like raised Southern Baptist. Uh, but I, I have three E words that I always point to for what I want all of my music to do, which is to entertain, encourage, and edify. Oh, and I was about to point out that E is a failing grade. <laughs> yeah, I, right. And, you know, putting that joke into context, I can entertain people and encourage them and edify them. Or, you know, the Lord can encourage them and edify them through my music without any level of, you know, earthly or, or visible success. You know, it's like I can fail by every music industry standard and, and still succeed by those metrics. And that is a, a mentality that I'm always like wrestling <laughs> myself into. You know, I am human and deeply prideful and egotistical and have been chasing fame my entire life. And so putting out solo music is uh, a slightly dastardly endeavor for a, you know, a human soul that has struggled with pride issues as much as I have. So I'm always trying to keep those unhealthy desires tempered. Like I know that writing music is healthy for my soul. I know that recording music is healthy for my soul. It's the releasing part that often becomes unhealthy for my soul because I'm desiring big results and big numbers and money, money, money <laughs> and, <laughs> and all those things that can ruin a, a really beautiful thing. Chase Tremaine has been with The Antidote. Thanks so much for coming and spending time with us. Well, thank you, Dave. I've really enjoyed this. <laughs>